Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for September 22nd, 2019. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. Yeah, it's uh, autumn. Autumn is starting and weather's cooling down. And I was thinking about the weather. We use the weather as a as an analogy for many things. Uh, and, you know, weather, we always talk about the weather. We say, hey, you know, hey, uh, it's a common kind of a social conversation, uh, you know, and uh, <clears throat> weather could be, could represent one's emotions or mood. You know, if, um, it's, kind of stormy or rainy or if there's blue skies or if there's, if it's sunny. Huh? It's just sort of a natural thing because uh, whatever the local weather is, it, it kind of influences our mood. And, uh, and if we ask, you know, what, uh, what's the weather like when we talk to, talk to somebody on the phone, for example, and, what's your local weather like and so forth I remember there was a book um, that talked about weather as emotions and it was a nice teaching Uh, you know sometimes we justify our behavior because of our emotions in other words if we if we're mad, then we might lash out, do something kind of negative. Well, why did you do that? You know, I said, well, you know, I was mad. Okay. But feelings like weather is not really an excuse. Just because it's kind of a uh, overcast day, we don't we don't 
use that as a we shouldn't use that as a reason for not doing what what we've got to do. We if it's if it's inclement weather, well you take an umbrella. You don't just pull the covers over your head and say, Well, ah, uh, it's kind of a dismal day, so I'm not gonna take care of my business. <laughs> Whatever it might be. You know? So Whatever, however we might feel, don't use it as a causative thing. Uh, and sometimes when I say talk to people, or especially in the lay program, I say, well, uh, we have a little time before we're waiting for everyone to uh, join the call. We say, well, I say, how's the weather? Or to, you know, whoever I'm talking to. And uh, And as I mentioned to them, sometimes I say, uh now I'm not just talking about the the uh climate weather. I'm talking about what's your uh spiritual condition <laughs> huh in your life. Okay. Um, and uh we should think about self assessment and uh uh Right. There's um, Albert Camus, French uh, existential philosopher. One of my favorite quotes of his is uh, he he says, "In the midst of winter, I discovered within myself an invincible summer." So, <laughs> um, No matter what the the weather is like, we 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 do what we need to do. So I really like the weather as an analogy for emotion, for spiritual condition. You know, how's your journey going? You know, what's going on? And uh, uh, well. Okay, I just wanted to talk about the weather, and I want to introduce our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse, David Choyo, part of LM7, and he lives in Pennsylvania, and uh, as you will find out, he's a, uh, he has a nice hobby of et- etymology, which is the origin of words, and uh, well, let's hear from David Joyo. Choyo Sensei. Happy Fall Equinox, Bright Dawn Sangha. This is Choyo, and today for my Dharma glimpse, I would like to share a mantra meditation technique I devised, which I call the Festoon As Method. Now, the noun Festoon refers to an ornament of some kind, such as a garland of flowers, chain of leaves, or a ribbon that's hung loosely, being tacked in place from two end points. The verb festoon refers to using this decorative manner of ornamentation. C.S. Lewis invented a prayer method which he called festooning, in which he would embellish a line of a traditional prayer 
by adding a personal thought or association or a request to that line as an ornament. And my Festoon As method, spelled F-E-S-T-O-O-N, capital A, capital Z, I take the sacred text itself as the ornament and focus solely upon the beginning and the end portions, the A and the Z. So you can choose any sacred text and abbreviate it by tacking the opening and closing portions, whether it's a syllable, a word, or a phrase, together and putting an ellipsis in between them. And you can take a breath for each of the three dots of the ellipsis or just take a pause. Now, the idea behind this festoon as form of prayer is that all the meanings and potencies of the entire text are contained within the first and the last portions. Now, the word one will normally encounter in Buddhist sutras after the title and the invocation is evam, E-V-A-M is how it's transliterated into English letters. So to create a festoon, we can use this term evam and join it to the syllable word or phrase that concludes a specific sutra. All but one Pali Sutta, the EV, EV, <laughs> Idivutaka Sutra, excuse me, all but the Idivutaka Sutra begin with the formula Evam Me Sutam Ekam Samayam. And most Mahayana Sutras begin with the same formula and they just render it into a different language, whether Sanskrit, Chinese, or Japanese. Usually this phrase is translated into English as, thus have I heard at one time. So I'll be focusing on this word avam in more detail later, but in passing I wanted to mention the word ekam. Given that Bright Dawn is a school of oneness Buddhism, this word ekam is a potent word to chew upon as it means one. And it's a sacred word in all Vedic traditions and also in the Jewish tradition and its offshoots. The central prayer of Judaism, the Shema, concludes with the word ekad, meaning one, a direct cognate to the Pali Sanskrit term eka or ekam. We could interpret the phrase evam me sutam ekam to mean thusness, heard by me, the one. Now looking at the word evam in more detail, this is the key opening term of nearly all the discourses of the Buddha. And it's usually translated as thus, but could also be translated as such. And within some Mahayana schools, this term avam is actually considered to refer to the ten suchnesses or the ten thusnesses. In the book Light of Wisdom by Padmasambhava and Jamgon Kongtrul, it says this about the word avam. Quote, so, according to the hidden meaning, wisdom is the support the syllable E of primordial great emptiness. Essence is the supported avam, syllable of great bliss. E and V-A-M 
are the union of bliss and emptiness, emptiness and compassion, and of means and knowledge. The Vajra Garland adds, E is emptiness, it is taught. Likewise, Ram is compassion. The Bindu results from their union. This union is the supreme marvel embracing these 84,000 Dharma teachings. In short, this is the seal of the Dharma. End quote. In a Western context, the Vam could be seen as invoking the source of life, as the meaning of the word Eve or Eva is life or living. And the Greek cognate word for Eve is Hebe, who is the ever youthful prime of life form of Hera, queen of the gods. And Hebe carries the cup, which is filled with ambrosia, which grants the deities eternal life. Now, let me just give some examples of my Buddhist festoonizing. Joining the two beginning words of the Heart Sutra with the two concluding words would produce Arya Avalokiteshvaro, Bodhi Svaha, or Noble Avalokiteshvara, Awakening. So be it. If we take the first two syllables of the Dhammapada, mano, and join that with the last word, brahmanaj, we could create this mantra. Mano, brahmanaj, or mind of a brahman one most elevated in holiness and realization. Joining the first and last words of the shorter sutra on Amida Buddha would create the following festunas. Evam Abhyananda Thus Rejoicing Back into Bliss Let me conclude this Barmaglens by considering the first syllable spoken by Shakyamuni Buddha after his enlightenment, as recorded in Dhammapada 153, and his last syllable uttered before passing away, as recounted in the Maha Parinibbana Sutta. Shakyamuni's first syllable after attaining nirvana was on, a negation meaning not, from the word aneka, which translates as not one or many. Now Shakyamuni's last syllable before attaining parin nirvana was ta, from the full word sampa data, which means you, plural, succeed, or you prosper. So the best tune as would be an on could have a few possible meanings. It is used as a negation, but it can also mean to breathe or to live. Ta, it has many possible meanings, including an auspicious prayer, a mountain, a protector, preservation, a loud noise, the moon's disk, a cipher, 
or a place frequented by all. So, on ta can be interpreted to mean live an auspicious prayer. And if we were to combine on and ta to create one word, we'd get anta. And in the Vedic language of Kannada, anta means end, from the Sanskrit term anta. In a Western context, anfa means flowery blossom, being short for antea, a by name for the goddess Hera. Both the Buddha's first sound after enlightenment and the last sound before physical death was the ah sound. And within many spiritual traditions, this vowel sound is considered to be the source of all. Within the Tibetan Dzogchen tradition, one is taught to meditate upon a white letter A within a sphere of rainbow light. And within the Japanese Shingon tradition, one meditates upon the letter A resting upon a lotus flower within a white full moon disk. This is the sound of one's natural being, one's breathing in and breathing out. What wonder. Thank you very much. Uh, David Choyo is indeed an etymologist. Um, And uh, I I kind of uh, see that as well if we do think about it, sacred sounds is an important part of spiritual practice. And if we think about the, well, it has been said that we human beings, we need all the help we can get in order to deepen our spirituality. We need all the senses, our eyes, and you know, our mouth, our body, and uh, and in in fact, in Sanskrit, uh, uh, the visual. Well, you you see a statue, okay? You see a picture of the Buddha, uh, or you see some representation, visual representation of teachings. You might see a mandala, huh? So you got to use vision, but you got to use sound too. Okay. Recitation, and we got a lot of recitations. Whether we call them prayers or sacred words, sacred sounds, all kinds of recitations in different traditions, all kinds of mantras. And then we have mudras, 
gestures, hand gestures, or, you know, it's just uh, the sense of touch maybe, okay. the body, uh, and mudras, uh, more, you know, technically are hand gestures, okay. and the Buddha, we look at it, you look, he's always doing some mudra in a, in any picture or statue, okay. uh, we use mudras socially. Uh, we wave high. Okay. We shake a hand. Uh, and I was thinking, I I like to think about. Uh, it was mentioned, but I kind of just simplify everything. I'm not an etymologist, okay? But I could really appreciate. The general idea of sacred sounds, without going into their origins or and whatnot, and I often thought about the three treasures: Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, uh, and all the three treasures uh, end in the sound Ah, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And then I thought about when we drink something cold on a hot day or something hot on a cold day, we take that first sip, what do we say? Ah. Uh-huh. I, I, uh, this is how I, I could relate to this. Yeah. And so whenever we're saying something after we drink something good we we're uh eliciting the three treasures and um uh, i think when uh or there's quite a few uh beginning sounds that would represent you know a sutra or a teaching um, and also the ending of a talk. Okay. I I know that there are uh, uh, in certain traditions you might, you might end the talk talk with amen. Yeah. Or I, I I coined the phrase may it be so, which I I think is the literal meaning of amen. Yeah. Uh, or in in uh, Pali, they say sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Very good, very good. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, these are words of enlightenment. And uh, and then of course, the beginning of classical talks. Thus I have heard. It's not me putting forth some wisdom, but this is what I have heard. Um, so, these kinds of uh, sounds, uh, meanings, and how we talk, okay,
Oh, well, apologies. We got disconnected, and all of our mobile phones, which is what we were using, uh, uh, were not operative. So <laughs> this is technology and uh, silence and sounds. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of nervous because I don't know if something's going to cut out unexpectedly, but... This is the whole topic or or theme, sounds, <laughs> speaking, you know, being able to hear. Um, so I want to I want to wrap it up, and to the extent that we could use a, a quote uh, or a certain phrase, you know, or even someone's name, what the the impact it carries. One's own name, you know, the meaning, emotion behind certain words uh, uh, is very important. And it, it would behoove us to uh, think about how we use uh, the importance of words, okay? whether it's good morning, whether it's amen, whether it's um, so be it, sadhu, sadhu, or may it be so. So forth. So uh, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a beautiful.